0: in a world filled with symbols. Some of you in here have a symbol on your left ring finger that points to something that goes far beyond some of you, I said. That goes far beyond the price of the ring. But it points to the commitment and the covenant that you've made to spend the rest of your lives loving and faithful and loyal to that other person. We have symbols on this stage, symbols that point to liberty and to freedom, symbols that remind us where we've come from and where we hope to go. All around us are symbols. I always say that the the most formative and one of the most important and foundational stories in scripture is the story of God hearing the cry of the Israelites while they were slaves in Egypt and then God doing something about it. It was a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that God would make to free us, you and me, in 2014 from the slavery that we are bound to, to our sins. So we, we, all of us, in our freedom, the Bible says that Jesus has set us free. And so we have this new freedom, this new sense of knowing that we don't have to keep going back to the things that are destructive. But sometimes, even in your freedom, you keep going back to those things in your life, whether it's relationships, whether it's substances, whether it's things or people that enslave you to not live the life that God created you to live. In the story of the rescue of the Israelites from Egypt, what we find is that they come out of what you would, I don't know, like the most advanced city in the world. Now, they were slaves in Egypt. And slavery is pretty bad, but at least in Egypt, the Israelites always had food and drink. They didn't have just cheap food, but they had stuff that was good. They had meat. They had substance substance and sustenance. And they were in the most advanced region and city in the entire world. And God comes and he takes them from that because all they were worth in that place was the amount of bricks they could make to build someone else's kingdom. And so God comes and he rescues them, which, which for us today, looking back, we think like, that's great. No one likes slavery. No one thinks slavery is okay. So God, the fact that he comes and rescues them and takes them out of this place, that's good news. But what we find in the Bible is that the Israelites didn't think it was good news. So now they were no longer slaves, but now they were out in the wilderness. Now they were out in the middle of nowhere, and it was desert, and it was hot, They didn't know if they were going to have enough food or enough water. They complained constantly. I think I've made a note that it was probably 11 or 14 times that the Bible writers tell us that the Israelites grumbled against Moses and against God. They were constantly complaining. They were taken out of a horrible place, and and then they went to a place that they thought was worse, but God was taking them on a journey to the promised land, what the Bible says, a a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a place of abundance, a place where they once were in a place of abundance, now they're in the wilderness, but God is leading them somewhere else. And in the midst of this, this God, he instructs them to do several things, but one of them is this, and we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is a prayer. This is called the Shema. This is something that our Jewish brothers and sisters to this day teach to their children. And this is what God says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. More symbols. Tie them around your arms, on your heart, on your forehead, on your doorposts. You see, we live in a world of symbols, but it's always been a world with tons and tons of symbols that point to God's goodness. So This is what God was giving them, even the commandments. They were physical tablets, not because they were sacred, but they were a symbol of a God who says, look, you are now free people. But in order to live the best possible life with the best possible society and the best possible government, follow these 10 rules. And if you follow these 10 rules, you guys are going to not only love me and respect me, but you'll respect one another. But it was a symbol. They were given to a nation in its infancy. They were given to a group of people that had no rules, that had no laws. And in God's grace, he says 10 things. That's all you have to do. And if you do those 10 things, you will be set. But it wasn't just about what was written on those tablets. It was that was just symbolic. That God would provide for them. Now, if you read the rest of the Bible, you will see that the Israelites went on ups and downs, their, their life as community ebbed and flowed, they went into exiles, all kinds of crazy things. But what was consistent was the symbol of those commandments, those tablets. What was consistent was that they were to be reminded that God rescued them from slavery and has given them freedom. This morning, what we have before us here in these silver trays is another symbol of God's love and God's sacrifice for us. This is a symbol that goes back to us being freed, or, or our ancestors being freed from Egyptian slavery. It is a symbol of Jesus' death on the cross and what that means for us. It wasn't just that he died. It's that he dies an innocent man. And what we believe happens there is that Jesus takes on the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, which is happening today. And God takes the punishment for that. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death. That all who sin, that your just payment is for you to die. It was there after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But God in his, in his infinite goodness and in his depth of love, God says you don't have to die. Instead, God takes on that punishment for him, to himself. And God dies the death that each one of us deserve. That's what we call grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We didn't do anything to earn God's love. God loves you before you are a Christian. God loves you as you are a Christian. God loves you when you sin. God loves you when you don't sin. God just loves you. And if you don't believe that, for those of you who have children, you know that you love your children with all your heart and you would do just about anything for them even on their worst day. There are days when you want to kill them, I know, right, where they break your stuff, and you're just like, how did you break this from there, you know, or they mess up stuff. Kids are expensive, not because you have to feed them, because they break stuff constantly. (laughs) But you know that even on the worst day, you love them, and there is nothing that can separate you from their love. Now, if we as imperfect people can do that, the Bible tells us that God's love far surpasses that love to the point that God lays down his own life in the person of Jesus to take on all of our sins and to allow us the freedom to be forgiven. So this morning, what we have before us is a piece of bread and a cup of juice. Jesus teaches his disciples after he washes their feet, that last supper, the picture that we see everywhere, right? That painting of, of Jesus and the 12 disciples in the last supper. It was during that supper that Jesus washes their feet, and then it says that he breaks bread, he blessed it, and he says, this is my body, eat. That's why people thought that the Christians were cannibals, because there was a man saying, eat my body, which was symbolic. It's not really the body of Jesus. When it's in your mouth, it doesn't turn into the body of Jesus. That's weird. It's a symbol. It's a symbol that points to God. Then Jesus says he takes the cup, he blesses it, he drinks it, and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is his way of saying, I have fulfilled the old covenant. The covenant of the Old Testament that said that you have to be perfect and that you have to be sinless, Jesus says, it is fulfilled in me. I have lived that life because no one else could. And now I lay down my life for all of you. And so the new covenant is that salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is nothing you can do. You cannot be good enough to earn God's salvation. You cannot be the best Christian and say, okay, now I know I am in. You are saved because Jesus says that you are. And you can't argue with Jesus. I mean, you can argue, but you're going to lose every single time. You can't argue with God, because God's like, I'm not listening to you. Fine, say what you want. Live, try to be as perfect as you can, but the Bible teaches us clearly that if, that those who keep trying to live perfect lives to earn salvation, that they're doing it in vain. Because if so, if you could do that, then Jesus wouldn't have to die. But because Jesus dies, Jesus God frees us and says, look, duh, none of you can be perfect. <laughs> I see that. And God provides us an opportunity for salvation, not so you can go and do whatever you want. God takes away the burden of having to earn your salvation. And now once that burden is lifted to be perfect, God says, okay, that's done. Salvation is done. It's given for you. It's fulfilled. It's completed. But now you have to live every single day of your life. And what God wants us to do goes back to the washing of the feet before the supper. And it's so that we can serve and bless others. Because when you go to heaven, you're going to be in a place for all eternity with the people who are sitting all around you now. You're probably not going to be able to take your Bible, you're not going to take your television. And even if you could, there'd be nothing to watch because there probably won't be internet in heaven. I don't, I don't know. I have, no, I have no concept. None of us really do. Your picture of heaven is your own. The Bible says very little. But what we know is that God is trying to, to form a kingdom of God here on this earth so that it is a glimpse of what eternity will be like. And eternity in heaven will be where people put other people's needs above their own. Imagine living in a world where everyone is always worried about how you are doing that day. And in return, you do the same. Where everyone's needs will be met and there will be abundance for everyone. I don't know what, he, what heaven and eternity is going to be like. I doubt that all we're going to do is eat fruit from trees. Can I just say that? I doubt that's what, the only thing we're going to do and, and pet lions all day. That's going to get, I mean, I don't even, can you comprehend eternity? No. I'm sure that once we get to there, God's going to have something planned that is so far beyond our finite minds can think that it's going to be amazing. But that's for God to plan. What God asks of you today is to accept that gift. And then be able to live a life that blesses others. This morning when we, when we have this bread and this juice, it is a reminder, a symbolic reminder that we are thankful for what God has done for us and we are celebrating that it is finished, that God has granted us salvation and we celebrate that and we worship that and we commit to living a life that blesses others. So if, um, if Kurt and Bob can come up here with me. Kurt and Bob, as, as our two elders for the day, will be leading us through the communion service, and um, if our deacons can stand now. So the way we will do it, if you are our guest, um, we practice at this church an open communion, which means that anyone and everyone is welcome to do this. And I know there may be some that disagree with me, but I will never deny the body and the blood of Christ to anyone. And so if you are a parent and you have a child here, teach them what this means. You can give them one. We have enough. We will never deny the body and the blood of Christ to anyone. Teach your children young in the way that they should go, and they will follow. So parents, I encourage you, teach your kids. So what we'll do is we're going to hand out the elements. Don't drink them or eat them, but the elders will lead us through that. So deacons, if you can now um, come on up, and we will hand out.
1: 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and 24, it says this For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. Spar our heads. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your broken body in which you suffered for us and paid a great price. And Father, now we do this in remembrance of you. He did the same with the cup after supper saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink from it, keep doing this in memory of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you did. The blood
0: you spilt on that cross was spilt for us and not for you. Your selflessness and your love for us is beyond our comprehension, Lord, and please help us just to show a little of it back
1: to you because of the immense way you've treated the immense love that you've demonstrated to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
0: Let us have one more word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that it's very simple for us to forget what these symbols mean. But I pray that your spirit would remind each one of us here especially as we leave this place, that because you have fulfilled the covenant, that you give us the freedom to be conquerors and to live a victorious life. And so we pray that we take that and we learn to live by your spirit and that we learn to be led by your will, that we would be a blessing to all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we end this very special Sabbath, please join us one more time in song as we sing our closing hymn, number 350. Blessed be the tie that binds. <clears throat> please stand. As we stand, will you bow your heads with me as we close with prayer? God, we are thankful for all that you do for us. And even though we don't always acknowledge it, even though we don't always see what you do, we know that you are there for us, just as you were for the Israelites. And we know you continue to be there for us today. So may we accept that gift. May it be evident to us on our, in our lives. And may we live lives that li- give you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.